before Jesus is betrayed, who is present here? His disciples. Okay, let's unpack that a little bit. Let's start naming some of them. Who are some of the disciples that are present? Peter. So what do we know about Peter? Hothead. Loud mouth. Gets himself in trouble. He has foot and mouth syndrome. Not, not the, the kid's disease, hand, foot, and mouth. But the, he probably says something and he's wishing those words were to be coming back, right? He, Jesus at this meal tells Peter that he's going to betray him. And what does Peter say? No, I would never do that. Earlier in the ministry of Jesus, what did Peter tell Jesus? Matthew 16, he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And uh, Jesus affirms that. Like, yeah, this is the rock on which I will build the church. And then at that same thing, a chapter later, Peter says, you're not going to die. And what does Jesus look at Peter and say? Get behind me, Satan. Like, what? Like, okay. Yeah, talk about, okay, who else is there? So you have Peter, hothead. Yeah, you have John, the disciple whom uh, Jesus loved. Okay, he was the one, he was sitting closest to Jesus. Sons of Zebedee, or sons of thunder. Mom. asking about. And then what happens when the other disciples hear about this? It says they, they're indignant. They're angry. You also have at this meal a guy named Matthew who uh, we know as Levi elsewhere. Levi was a tax collector. Tax collectors' jobs were to pretty much oppress the Jewish people. They not only took the taxes for the Roman Empire, but they took a little bit more, skimmed a little bit off the top, and put it in their own pocket, okay? So he was working for the bad guys and personally enriching himself off of that. And then, who else is next to, who's next to him at this meal? You have, um, you, uh, oh, what's, uh, you have Simon. You remember, there's a descriptor for his name. Do you remember what it is? Simon the what? Zealot. What was it? Zealots. Zealots were all about overthrowing the government. So you have a guy that works for the IRS and an anarchist sitting at the same table. Okay? You have a, a loudmouth that thinks he's got it all figured out often. And then you have these two brothers that are trying to one-up themselves amongst everybody, causing indignation. You have a group of people that are extremely dysfunctional. Okay? They are, and how did Jesus get this group of people? God picked them. God, he prayed and fasted all night for, to determine who God would choose to have this group of people be the ones that he would give this message to. And what's this message? Love one another. Hate, tax collector, and zealot, love one another. You guys hate one another in what, in what you perceive to be normal. But I'm calling you 
to something, a new commandment. And it's not new. It's, this is a commandment that's been part of the Hebrew tradition for a long time. But it's, it, the new quality is the type of love that is expressed here. Because what is the type of love that Jesus is giving them in this, this culture of animosity? What is the type of love he tells them to? Verse 13, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. So the type of love that Jesus gives them is love one another as I have loved you. What's Jesus do the next day? He dies for them. So the, this group of people that animosity, I mean, you can imagine the infighting that would take place that we don't have recorded in the scripture. How many times did P Jesus have to separate Simon and Matthew? How many times did he have to cool down the sons of Zebedee from not trying to take over everybody else? And yet, these are the very people that God chose to be Jesus' disciples. And what was the fruit of their ministry? What ended up happening as a result of them receiving this new commandment? Eventually, the world was... Okay, thanks, Siri. Eventually, the world was changed. They actually ended up doing it. We see in Acts, they, they loved one another. They, no one considered anything of their own, they, um, but they offered it to one another and at the disciples' feet. But... It's so easy to look at the fruit, but think about what it would have been like to be in that little, this little group of people that probably experienced a lot of animosity towards one another. This was not a, a, a Brady Bunch. Well, there's animosity in the Brady Bunch. Bad example. But this was not like just everything was going smoothly. So following Jesus in community, <clears throat> a lot of times we think, oh, it's just going to be like perfect. It's going to be this nice piece of cake. But Jesus himself showed us that what it means to follow him in a little bit of a culture of animosity, right? When people were fighting with one another, people had disagreements with one another, people thought they were more significant than the other. And if you think about it, that's really not that uncommon in our day. It's, I mean, not necessarily in this room, but if you look, go out and you just look at the news, uh, it feels like we are more at odds with one another than we ever have been. Now, I don't know if it's just because I'm getting older and I'm experiencing it, but the tribalism and the polarization of our day is unbelievable. I was hanging out with some friends last night, and they were just saying how they're refusing to see family members until they abide by the same... Uh, medical standards that they themselves abide by. And they're separating over that. Like, think of 2020 and 2021. This was a perfect storm that created what we're in today, right? You have the, the step one of COVID. Oh, are, what, are, you, are you masking? Are you not masking? Are you shutting down? Are you, like, and then so people just divided a little bit more. Throw in George Floyd and all the social unrest, another opportunity for people to be separate from one another. Throw in the election, and all that that was, more of an opportunity to be separate from one another. So there's animosity, there's vitriol. Mudslinging is a term that is too calm for what is happening in our day. And yet, Jesus, through the Apostle John, 
gives us this command to love one another. So what does it mean as we talk about being nourished? How in the world are we to do that when there's so much animosity around us? How are we not to go the ways of the culture in the animosity, the vitriol, the mudslinging? And here's the thing. We are just as tempted and susceptible to that than anybody else is. It's not like, oh, we have, we've got the Bible, so we're not going to do that. Perfect, a good example of this. It would have been very easy for us early on, about a year, 12, 14 months ago, to just pick a side, run that side, and then, oh, you're not on with us? Get off. See you later. We're going we're gonna to be, all the policy, we're going to be a red church. We're going to be a blue church, whatever color you want to do. Right? We're going to pick it, we're going to fight for it, and we're just going to say, oh, you don't want that? Get out of here. And just and play the party lines. And there's people that have done that. There's people that have just said, no, I'm, we're going to just go this way, and, and then start talking about the other side as if they're enemies. Like, we as God's people, and it's sad, but in a lot of ways, the church has made this worse in our day. Our brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, and and we, it's very easy, like, oh, how dare they? How do, oh, how can they? But have you spoken poorly of somebody that has had different opinions of you in the last year and a half? How could they? Oh, they're so dumb. They're fill in the blank, right? Or the temptation to only connect with people that are similar in your frame of reference. I'm just going to hang out with people because they do that, right? We, we are just as prone in our own flesh to experience this animosity of our, and, and to not just have it exposed in us, but become more entrenched in it. So how can we be nourished by Jesus when this is our day and age? The animosity the vitriol, the mudslinging. What does it mean for us to express the type of love Jesus expressed? To be recipients of and choose to give our love in the same way Jesus chose to give his love. To whom he chose to give his love. And by God's grace, experience the fruit of it. And so let's look at this type of love. So go back to the passage. If you have that, your book, uh, your Bible open, your app open, um, I'm going to reread verses 12 through 15. Notice the type of love that Jesus does. So this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. The, the gospel gives us how we are not only to experience God's love, <clears throat> excuse me, but also how we are to express God's love. And if in, in a culture of animosity, most of the love is a, a love of self-serving, right? I'm going to hang out with people that are like me, that that's reaffirm me, confirmation bias, 
all that, that that comes with, Jesus actually gives us a completely different frame of reference. If, and here's the thing, and this is the countercultural way of Jesus. If we're to be nourished by Jesus, we have to not only experience but express the type of love Jesus shows us in the gospel. And that's not self-serving, but that is self-sacrificial. The paradox of the gospel is if you want to be nourished, you have to lay down your life. You have to empty yourself. Why? Like, that doesn't make any sense. Like, why would I, why does that, why would Jesus say that? Because if we're so full of ourselves, we don't need to be full of him. If we are still working in our own way, receiving love from those that think like us, act like us, it's not until we're able to come to an end of ourselves that we recognize our need to be filled by him. That's not only in salvation, friends. That's not only in like, okay, I'm I'm a sinner that's needing to be saved by grace. That's also in the sense of, I have tried everything I can to fill my tank. And until we empty our tank for the sake of others, that we, don't, that we start to realize that we have an opportunity to be filled and nourished by him. So 1 John 3.16, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. So what does it look like in a culture of animosity to receive God's love to be nourished for the very people that we want to push aside is the very people that we are called to sacrifice for. The upside down kingdom of God is that when we give of ourselves, we can actually receive of him because that's the ways of Jesus. So we know the type of love is self-sacrificial, not self-seeking. But it also is interesting to look at the recipients of love. Uh, Verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. We just talked about this, but think again of Jesus as the group that he's speaking to. The zealots with the tax collector. The sons of Zebedee with Peter vying for... um, Vying for power. And this is the group of people God chose that they were to express this love to. Don't miss this, that God chose this. Have you ever been in a community experience when you're starting to like, there's a little bit of animosity or there's a little bit of like, um, you're kind of rubbing shoulders with people, rubbing you the wrong way. It's just not going well. And you're like, wait a second. I thought... I thought community would, this makes it easier, right? Like I should, so if things aren't easy in this group of people, that, or if they're not easy, excuse me, that must mean that God is not in this and I should go look somewhere else. Now, I'm not saying looking elsewhere is bad. I'm just focusing in on the idea that we think that it automatically should always be easy and good And sometimes Jesus decides and chooses people in our lives that rub us the wrong way. And sometimes we want to push away. We want to separate. We want to, right? 
And how are we nourished in the midst of that? We realize that God choosing of community is not always the simplest, cleanest, easiest of groups of people. And why is that? Because Jesus desires for us to grow. It's not about making life easier. Jesus is looking to help us be formed into his image. So I've talked to a lot of people like um, that, like, oh, I'm having a hard time with this. I'm, I'm like, uh, like church, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say global church, okay, for a second. Um, and they're like, yeah, it's just not going well for me. I'm, I'm looking elsewhere. So I usually ask them two questions. I ask them the question of, is the spirit leading in this? And then I ask the question, um, would you lay down your life for the sake of that group of people? And, and then I let them think about it. Because usually I'm like, oh, it's in it for this, it's in it for that. I, I get th- there's an absolute need to be filled. That's why we're doing this so intently, because we know it can't always be about pouring out. We know it can't always be about um, emptying yourself. We need to be nourished. We need to be filled. But the amazing thing about God's kingdom is that the way he does it oftentimes comes from the ways that we try to run away from. And in the midst of all this animosity, in the midst of all this trying to only be, we have to realize that God gets to choose who those people are. God chose who would be the recipients of this message. And they were at odds with one another. What makes it any different for us? Now, does that mean that, oh, I have to go find something to make it difficult? No. It's, you don't make it harder than it already is. But it's a going against the natural flow of our flesh where we're trying to find things that fit our needs and our desires. And what Jesus does is he says, hey, follow me, obey my commands, and I'll make sure your real needs are actually met. Countercultural. And here's why. And this is, I'll, I'll close with this. The last part of it, 16b. The la- uh, <clears throat> why did he do this? So that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide and that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command to you so that you will love one another. So not only does Jesus determine the type of love, the recipients of this love, he also gets to experience the fruit of it. John 13, 35, he connects it here. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. By what? Your love for one another. Who's he talking to there? The same meal. Same group of people. A lot of people right now are talking about the greatest threat to the gospel. A lot of ideas around what's the greatest threat to the gospel? Is it this? Is it that? Is it blah, blah, blah? And there's all these ideas. Okay? Is it, is it CRT? Is it MAGA? Blah, blah, blah. Like, what, what is it? You want to know? I, this, I'm going to go to this and I'm going to say, actually, those are all external threats. And yeah, those are things that we have to talk through. And those are things that we have to really nuance and understand and all that. Okay? I think the greatest threat to the gospel is us. 
Like, not as in, like, how dare, it's like, no. The greatest apologetic of the gospel is our love for one another. When we choose not to obey Jesus in this, we are actually getting in the way of help the world experiencing the very fruit and us experiencing the very fruit of the world knowing the gospel. By our love for us, people that in our MCs, in, in our gather, in our church family, those in other church families in our city even, those that are um, even this global understanding of like, I mean, we are called to love. And it's by that love that mission actually is, takes place. Andreas Kostenberger, it's just a cool name, says this, Jesus' pronouncement to love one another is based on the recognition that the members of his new messianic kingdom are united by a special bond, their shared knowledge of the love of God for them in Jesus. And that, the successful accomplishment of their mission, is predicated on the practice of this love within their own community. If they fail to do so, they fail to undergird their verbal witness to Jesus by the visual demonstration of the reality of Jesus' love in the lives of his followers, which undercuts their mission and renders it ineffective. Rather than go the way of culture, rather than experience this animosity, what is the call for us to love one another? What does that do? It gives the visual representation. God's glory is the visual splendor. What is God's glory? It is the hope in us, uh, Colossians 1, that the spirit now lifts in, lives in us. So we, the body, are the visual representation of Jesus to the world right now. So our love for one another is the way in which Jesus is good news is proclaimed bodily so that when we proclaim it verbally, it actually has something to stand on. So in a culture of animosity, when we, when the tribes want to only love them with those within them, when it's typically a self-serving type of love and that tribe can be fruitful, we are called to an, a third way. We're called to love both our brothers and sisters, and love our enemies. We're called to lay down our lives because it's in the emptying of ourselves that Jesus can actually fill us. And we do that to people, not that we choose to do it to. We choose it, we do it, and we love those people that God has chosen in our path to express that love. And in the countercultural way of the kingdom of God, it's in that way that we not only experience the fruitfulness of our lives, but we get to experience his love in the midst of it. And so I want to pray, and then there's going to be some questions that I want you to dialogue for, we'll just say like five minutes, dialogue around, and then we'll take communion together. And so Father, I just um, thank you that it is in your love shown to us. Father, you have given us the example of how we are to love one another. And it's by how you loved us, how you called us, how you chose us,
how you put us in your, um, the lives of one another. And it's how you call us to do it for other people. And so, Father, I thank you that we get to lay down our lives as you did, Jesus. And as we abide in you, that you fill us completely anew, Jesus. Father, as we love those that um, sometimes we don't want to love, God, help us realize that we were your enemies, but now we're your children. That we, that we get to express that. And Father, thank you that it is through that love that the world will know we are your disciples. So I pray that, that those things happen. Help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.